you can't solve crime without your community. Look at officers the same way that you try to look at other individuals as just individual people. There is a correlation to how we behave sometimes, the stress level and how quick-tempered some officers can be. Think about what the uniform means. Maybe the uniform to me means pride and respect and dignity. Drive two blocks north from our police station and the uniform means a whole lot of other things. You don't see the outside world like everyone else does. We are going to stop the wrong guy sometimes. That's going to happen. You learn everything you need to learn in the academy, but it's different trying to apply it in the streets. It's sometimes difficult to gain trust with the community. We're not all one blue race. We're all individuals. There are over 760,000 sworn officers in state and local law enforcement across this country. We spent the last several months hearing from police about the realities of a job that right now doesn't get a lot of sympathy from the public. It's all part of our series to serve and protect life behind the blue line. And today, we have the last of those conversations. Michael Wood Jr. served in the Baltimore Police Department for 13 years until he retired with a shoulder injury in 2014. Wood served as a patrol officer on a narcotics unit, as a sergeant, and as a unit commander. He says he always wanted to be a cop until he saw how fear undermined the profession. So I grew up as one of those kids in suburbia America just outside of Baltimore. Not a lot of money, but I I was a latchkey kid. I watched TV, Knight Rider, I watched Cops, and and I wanted that that thrill. I wanted those foot chases, the fights and the guns and going after everybody. Like, that looked fun. And the world was telling everybody that these were heroes. You know, these were the ones that separated yourself. I got that in my mind that I was going to be a cop from a really young age. I thought it was the coolest thing that, that you could do to be like, be an athlete and thinker, but yet still go out there and help people on a normal basis. When I went to the Baltimore Police Department, I had applied to a bunch of other ones and they hired me first, but I really wanted to go there. If you're going to do it, you go there thinking not only where you get the action there, but that's where you get to help. kind of was a little disillusioned at the lack of training in the police department. I guess I kind of accepted it and went about doing my job the best I could. Couldn't worry about everybody else, have to worry about me. So the first place I got assigned was in this thing called the District Stabilization Unit, which is the idea of community policing where you put a foot patrol officer and he walks around a neighborhood on the sidewalk and you you think as a citizen that this community policing idea means that this cop is going to go walk around and be nice to everybody and solve problems. But the reality of it is, is that these cops and every one of their bosses, even when they're walking foot patrol, are measured by something uh, that is very proactive in enforcement, such as arrests or citations. And these things are what you are judged upon doing your job as. This is work. So that's what those young officers did, along with me. We went out there and we completely uh, unsupervised, locked up a bunch of, of suspected drug dealers and people that were on the streets with, with pretty much no supervision. We weren't helping anybody. We were just collecting our own stats and, and serving our own needs. And that was in Gilmore Homes, right where Freddie Gray was killed. So that's 10 years at least before he was killed. So that kind of gives you the idea that that place like never changed at all from the time that I stepped there to the time that Freddie Gray was killed there. You leave this foot patrol unit after about six months, and then you go to an FTO, a field training officer, and that's when you ride with somebody else to learn what policing is. 
I still had my big doughy-eyed look at that time, thinking that I was I was doing something good and and participating in something good. But my first night with my FTO, he yelled at this guy riding a bicycle on the sidewalk. And I, I kind of thought it was no big deal. He yelled at him to get off the sidewalk, told you not to be around. So the, the guy takes a, a turn down an alley, and the officer in our patrol car, he hits the back of the tire of the guy. The guy goes flying off of the bicycle, crashes down. My FTO gets out of the car while I stayed in it, not really understanding what was going on. And he got out, yelled at the guy, ripped the guy's shoes off of his feet, threw his shoes up on the building of a house that was nearby, took the guy's bike, which was mangled from hitting it with the car, threw it over a fence to another house, and made the guy walk away with no shoes on in the middle of the night in the winter. And I just, uh, I kind of froze there and didn't think much of it, and probably just completely put it out of my mind. But as time goes, like, I see that now as, as the first time. I finally start to see it. I didn't understand at these times that I didn't have the tools to do what I was trying to do. I couldn't put the puzzle pieces together to figure out why I wanted to do good, why the the citizenry wanted me to do good, but the tools aren't there. There isn't a mission there isn't a mission to achieve this good. The mission is actually something entirely different that I, I didn't learn until later on from, from seeing these incidences. When I went out there, I was from the Marine Corps. I was from this elite unit that dealt with fear and with combat and with uses of force and guns and backdrops and the idea that a hero on the battlefield is the one that sacrifices for the nation, right? So we say this is a hero because they went out there, they risked their lives, they put the citizens of America above them, and that makes you special. And that makes sense to me. In policing, it's the exact opposite. You are considered a hero because you don't die. Because you got home safely and executed the laws that people wanted you to do. And this is a crazy paradigm. It is the hero who hesitates to pull the trigger. Not the hero who pulls the trigger at the slightest sign of fear. So why do we have that? Why are we being patrolled by people so afraid that they're willing to do that? And that is a big big issue that runs deep and, and it's not about policing and that's what I have to get everybody away from is that these aren't bad cops this is not rotten apples we have created and this responsibility is on us as a society we have created a barrel that that rots every apple that we put into it because of what policing was personally if we're going to lead policing into this new revolution where we decide to help Freddie Gray and not kill Freddie Gray, then I need all these people out there that are in these agencies right now to like keep trying really hard there and not give up to fight this system from the inside. It wasn't my place to fight it from the inside. It just, the cards didn't roll that way. But I think there's a lot of heroes in policing right now. I have a lot of them that email me talking about it who are inside who are still good.
That was Michael Wood Jr., who left the Baltimore Police Department in 2014. He now works as a police consultant. You can listen to all of our conversations with law enforcement on our website at thetakeaway.org slash police. Well, all throughout our series, hearing from police officers across America, you've been calling in to tell us how you view law enforcement. This is Rachel calling from Amherst, Massachusetts. As a white mother of a black son, I have a unique perspective. My son has consistently, through his entire life, had the attention of police in ways that his white friends haven't and has even been arrested under circumstances that the other white people with him weren't arrested. My feeling is that it is a rare thing indeed that a policeman is your friend. Your voice, your views on policing in America. You can call us anytime, 8778-MY-TAKE. You can join the conversation on our Facebook page. And your voice is so important to what we do here on The Takeaway. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Todd Zwillick. This is The Takeaway. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.